Hello, listeners. This is a student-led science podcast brought to you by the Bangalore International School, a caring, connected community nurturing strong, intelligent leaders akin to the mighty bison, our school mascot. My name is Shia, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Sean, from Great Ten Ganges. This episode focuses on the COVID vaccination. The, this podcast gives an opportunity to the students to meet and interact with scientists who are working to make the world a better place. Whether a simple answer to a problem with your physical conditions or a technological advancement capable of changing the world, these capeless heroes do all they can to help move the world one step forward. To answer all our questions on the COVID vaccination, our guest today is Ms. Angela Bhattacharji. Ms. Angela has done her master's in the field of biotechnology from St. Xavier's College in Kolkata. Thereafter, she pursued a PhD in the field of cell biology and immunology at the Institute for Stem Cell Science and Regenerative Medicine, also known as INSTEM, Bangor. Currently, she has submitted her PhD thesis and joined the company Thermo Fisher Scientific in the Department of Antibody Development. Today, she was kind enough to join us and share her knowledge on the COVID vaccination, a paramount tool in our fight against the virus. Uh, thank you, Shriya. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. And thank you, uh, Balika, for uh, reaching out to me. And thank you, Bangalore International School, for having me here. Uh, our first question to you, ma'am. What sparked your interest in this field? Yeah, in this field, I would refer to this field as research. So I think as kids, we are always very keen on exploring new things, like we would always run after butterflies or be amazed to uh, see the different forms of leaves or different colors around us. And so when we grow up, the more we study as, uh, as it is a part of a curriculum, then we grow more interest. And at the end of class 12, when I had to decide if I were to go into engineering or medical, my first choice was to do research. Be it engineering, be it uh, medical science, I wanted to do some research in both the fields. Eventually, I joined, I mean, I started my biotechnology uh, course. Uh, I did my master's and joined a PhD in, uh, in the lab of Dr. Shekhar Raghavan at Instagram in Bangalore. And thereafter, I pursued my research. So that was my motivation to be in the field. Yeah, that's great, Miss. Um, could you give us a brief about the vaccine discovery and how it was developed? Yeah, so to go before we can go into the COVID vaccination, I would like to throw light on what is a vaccine. And that would take us to the story of the legendary story of Edward Jenner. So Edward Jenner was a country doctor in uh, Berkeley. And he was uh, very uh, surprised to see that milkmaid who used to milk the cows in Berkeley had contracted cowpox, which was a milder disease, but thereafter they did not uh, develop symptoms of smallpox, which was a more deadlier uh, uh, disease. And so they did not have the scars, which the smallpox would leave behind. But then he realized that probably the cowpox uh, virus was providing some kind of protection against infection from the, uh, by the smallpox virus. So what he did, did is like he took fluid from blisters that developed due to cowpox from, from an infected patient and injected it to a eight-year-old boy who was neither infected with cowpox nor smallpox. Eventually, the boy developed cowpox uh, symptoms, fever, and they were milder symptoms. They subsided, 
and then he uh, introduced the smallpox virus to the eight-year-old kid. And to his surprise, the boy did not develop any smallpox symptoms. So that basically led to the, I mean, led to the birth of this vaccination concept. The word vaccine is actually um, uh, taken from the name of the cowpox, which is bacteria. So now coming to the definition of vaccine, vaccine is a substance that can be used to stimulate the production of antibodies and provide immunity against one or several diseases. So basically, uh, the next time the body, if the body meets the same uh, antigen or the same foreign body, it would not react to it. So that's vaccine. The story of Edward Jenner was later published uh, by him in a, uh, in a book called An Inquiry into the Causes and Effects of the Variole Vaccine in 1798. Um, miss, you mentioned antibodies, um, one of the main things in vaccines. Can you tell us the difference between artificially developed antibodies and natural antibodies? Yeah, so I would take, take up this example, uh, like the story of Edward Jenner itself. So the milkmaids who were exposed to the cowpox virus naturally because they were milking the cows, so they developed immunity. They developed. They were protected against infection by the smallpox virus. So that is natural immunity, or because, or naturally, uh, natural antibodies were developed. So artificial immunity is when Edward Jenner purposefully, like deliberately, uh, introduced the cowpox. Uh, virus to the boy and so that the boy develops antibodies against smallpox virus. So that's known as artificial antibodies or artificial immunity. Okay, so coming to COVID, what's, what is the structure of the SARS-CoV-2 virus and how is the structure mutated over time? And how long can the virus survive outside a host? Yeah, so uh, Shriya, before I go on to discussing the uh, structure of the SARS-CoV and the mutations, I would like to give you a brief idea about what immunity is, what I mean by inflammation. Because the vaccine is developed to uh, stimulate the immune system, right? So what inflammation means is when there is uh, a tissue injury, any form of damage, the tissue gives out signals saying, hey, I'm in danger, please help me. So these dangerous signals are then received by the white blood cells who are almost always serving different tissues of the body. So these uh, immune cells of the white blood cells then recognize these uh, foreign bodies. They uh, kill the uh, bacteria or any other pathogens they interact with. And then they present the, the features of these dead pathogens to the other arm of the uh, immunity, such as uh, B cells or the T cells, so that the B cells can produce antibodies and the T cells can form the memory of these pathogens. So that the next time when the body meets the same pathogens, the body is already prepared to fight against the known pathogens. So the response that, uh, so the, the, the reaction that the body mounts to fight these bacteria, the pathogens, can be together uh, uh, be termed as inflammation. So now coming to the structure of SARS-CoV-2, first of all, the SARS-CoV-2 is an abbreviation for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2. So this is um, RNA virus, by, by which I mean that this virus has genetic material, uh, uh, its genetic material is RNA as opposed to DNA, which we are very familiar with, like all of us, all the humans have DNA as a genetic material. So then SARS-CoV-2 
consists of spike proteins which stick out like hooks outside their envelope protein and the membrane uh, protein so these spike proteins give the structure of a crown or a corona from which it derives its name coronavirus so it has spike proteins which is responsible for the corona structure and the envelope protein from which and the membrane protein from which the spike protein uh, uh, is taking out and the RNA, which is the genetic material of the SARS-CoV-2, is present inside the is covered inside a nucleocapsid protein. So these are the main components of a SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus. And the spike protein is the one which helps the SARS-CoV-2 virus to attach to the receptors on the host cells and gain entry into the cell. So coming to the uh, mutations, so. Uh, before mutation, so there are, as I mentioned, so there are two forms of genetic material, mostly. It's the DNA or the RNA. And DNA, uh, between DNA and RNA, DNA is more stable. RNA has a propensity to accumulate changes as and when the uh, virus is replicating, is growing in numbers. So then the RNA, while it's doing, uh, while it's replicating, the process is very inefficient. It tends to accumulate a lot of changes. The changes are known as mutation. And each virus that has a different mutation, which is of concern to the humanity, by which I mean that these mutations result in more infectivity, more transmissibility, or, or are capable of causing more damage to the humanity. They are known as variants of interest or variants of concern. So these uh, these are termed as SARS-CoV-2 variants. And so far, the variants of interest are uh, alpha variant, beta variant, gamma variant, delta variant, and now we know Omicron is doing its rounds. So all these variants have originated in different time and in different uh, places. Miss, uh, our next question is, what are the different types of vaccines used in COVID? Could you describe the mechanism of vaccine functions? So when it comes to different types of vaccines that are uh, developed, so what do you mean? Like what's in, what's in the vaccine target? So the first, the favorite target is the spike protein. Why? Because you would want to prevent the vaccine from gaining entry into the host cells. And by and how does it uh, achieve that function? With the help of the spike protein. So vaccines would be targeted so that the body is uh, body is protected against spike protein. So it has antibodies against the spike protein. So that's the favorite vaccine target. Now vaccines can be in, in many different forms. It can be against the protein subunit, which is a, a spike protein subunit directly, or vaccine can be a virus-like particle. Basically, it is the virus that it contains all the viral proteins that mimic the like that mimic the structure of the virus, but it does not have the genetic material, so it's not harmful. It can be DNA based. So basically the genetic material or you or you basically the genetic material or you can form the, the genes that will ultimately be translated into proteins, into the viral proteins. So you can take the mRNA or the DNA and you can inject that. And uh, uh, to form uh, antibodies against the spike protein. And there can be another uh, uh, vaccine platform, which is known as non-replicating viral vector, which means that the genetic material of the virus will be inside another, will be inside the body of another virus, such that they do not necessarily uh, grow inside the host cell. 
these these vaccines are all produced against different components of the virus particles however you can also use the whole virus as a vaccine how you can do that you can inactivate the virus so that it is no longer infective and or you can use weak viruses for example so the virus is the, the is attenuated it means that it is live it is capable of proliferation but it does not have the essential components or it is weak enough and hence it will not uh, cause much reaction in the body these are the different platforms of the vaccine that can be used to treat covid-19 and just to give an example so there are different types of vaccines that are sold by different uh, uh, companies so oxford AstraZeneca that you have heard of, which is uh, being sold as Covishield and produced by Serum Institute of India, uh, it depends on the viral vector type of vaccine. Moderna is a is an mRNA vaccine. Pfizer BioNTech is an mRNA vaccine, whereas Sputnik V is a viral vector based uh, vaccine. So these are the different uh, platforms. These are the different types of uh, vaccines that are currently being used. Right, that's amazing. Um, why is vaccination against viral infections difficult to develop compared to vaccines against other diseases? Yeah, so this is something I actually explained uh, uh, before itself. So DNA, uh, because these vaccines have RNA as a genetic material, and RNA is more prone to mutations compared to the DNA. So, for example, bacteria or for other other diseases that you can think of, those pathogens have DNA as a genetic material. So, once you develop a vaccine against uh, those, then there is less chances. I, I mean, there is a less chance that they will accumulate too many mutations over time, and so the vaccines are more or less stable. However, in case of um, viruses, especially the ones that have RNA genetic material, for example, the COVID vaccine or SARS-CoV-2 virus. You, we have ourselves seen that it has accumulated so many mutations within a very short time of two years. So that's why it has become like the vaccines are. Vaccine also has to develop, co-evolve with the structure of virus to keep up with the um, with the with, to keep up with the rate at which the virus is spreading. The good thing is vaccines developed so far have. I mean, they still recognize all the variants that are better there um, that are there in the environment as of now because of the similarities they still have. So that's the beneficial part. But that it is this is the reason why viral vaccines are very difficult to make, especially the ones that have RNA genetic material. Thank you. So um what is meant by the efficacy and effectiveness of a vaccine and why are we taking booster doses? Yeah. So what is efficacy? So efficacy, vaccine efficacy basically refers to how the vaccine performs in ideal conditions, like controlled clinical trials. So what it means is vaccine does not come directly to the public, right? So they have to be, they are produced, their quality is checked, and whether they are functional, they are functioning properly needs to be tested, needs to be verified, validated. So all those things are done, done under like supervision, under very controlled conditions and uh, proper, all the factors are being controlled. But once the vaccine efficiency is determined and is released into the, I mean, and is given and is started to give, to be uh, given to the public, so then it is termed as vaccine effectiveness, which refers to how the vaccine performs in wider population. And that can be different from efficacy. Why is it so? Because there are several different factors that might be affecting the 
effectiveness of a vaccine for example age age of a person the comorbidities that a person has or the different kind of other different kind of vaccines uh, or drugs that they have already taken they are taking that might interact with the covid vaccine and, and the reaction that it might uh, cause so and uh, and the kind of variant that is doing around so for example in clinical trials we started um, uh, testing with the first alpha variant but by the time the vaccine was launched and given to public it has already shifted to delta for example so then they knew that it was efficient against alpha but now it's delta so maybe the effectiveness is different so now you need to perform even more clinical trials or even more uh, uh, experiments to know if it is effective against the present or the current variant that is doing run so that's why effectiveness of a vaccine is different from efficacy okay miss um talking about effectiveness and efficacy um between all the different vaccines which vaccine do you think works the best yeah so you may have come up come across that okay this vaccine is 94% that epic efficient that version is a vaccine is 85% uh, efficient so all those terms are given in terms of like efficacy but when it but be any i mean regardless of the efficiency of the vaccine what would be best for us is to take any vaccine that is available because over here the major concern is death rate so all the vaccines whether pfizer moderna johnson johnson astrazeneca or novavax have been found to be 100% effective against death but then also i mean basically the number of deaths the very few number of deaths that we have observed even in uh, population who are vaccinated that might be because of the comorbidity issues that people might already had or maybe the people who were partially vaccinated or maybe because the vaccine had not because there was a period after which the vaccine would be uh, most effective so if somebody got that infection within that time period when the before the vaccine could be effective they might have it might i mean they were unfortunate beings i would say otherwise it was advised that everyone takes the vaccine because all of them have been proven to provide 100% protection against death i think i've missed out on a question as to why we should take a booster dose so uh, yeah so vaccines uh, so the first two doses of vaccine which is stimulated the uh, body's immune system the body's immune system is now prepared to take on the next round of virus but with time the antibodies might fade so taking another dose uh, that might further stimulate antibody production would always be a beneficial and that's called a booster dose but i think nowadays it's still uh, it's still not absolutely concluded i mean there's no conclusive idea whether everyone should take a booster dose or not and people are taking a call on it Uh, miss our next question is why do covid symptoms range from no symptoms to mild moderate and severe in different people um is it the in- immunity of individuals or is there more to it yeah so i don't think anybody would have just one word answer for that so it's basically it, it depends on how an individual reacts to the uh, a virus so uh, it's body so for example i would um, so for example a person with comorbidity would have a weaker immunity compared to a healthier person who has maintained um, a more healthier lifestyle so then they might develop more um, they might develop more severe symptoms compared to other people but i don't think there is only, there is one reason that scientists have concluded 
but i think it's it's mostly the immunity of individual uh, like individual responses put up uh, against uh, covid virus so talking about symptoms why do they appear are they triggered by the virus or are they consequences of the immune system's reaction to the covid virus yeah so it can be two ways so very uh, so basically when the uh, sars cov 2 virus is attaching to the host cell using its spike protein so the spike protein attaches to the angiotensin converting enzyme to the receptor present on the host cells so when it does that it can itself initiate a killing of the cells which in turn can damage tissues and can result in the tissues releasing the damaged signals the dangerous signals and that leads to the recruitment of the different immune cells and once they uh, reach, reach the uh, damaged tissues so these immune cells actually uh, have very good intention of saving the tissues but in the process of saving they put out so much inflammatory molecules so much cytokines which are the chemicals that are receiving information that instead of doing good it further damages the uh, tissues so i would say if the symptoms appear i mean the severe symptoms that appear is because of the excessive immune response uh, put up by the body Okay. Uh why are kids not as severely affected as other age groups? So kids have immunological advantages because uh, they are young and they have very young immunity so they they are ve- very well and the young immune system is very well prepared to um fight against covid competitive uh, covid competitive does but these are all hypotheses and these are all ideas i am not sure if scientists have have a, a Uh, perfect. I mean, I have a conclusive idea as to why kids are not as severely affected, but the reason would be a more uh, young immune system. Yeah. Because uh, sorry, because with age, the immune system also loses its efficiency, loses its functional capability. Yeah. So, uh, how did the previous pandemics evolve, and what is the future of COVID? Yeah. So. we have to remember that sars cov 2 like covid 19 is not the only pandemic that uh, humanity has witnessed it has already always been affected by different uh, pandemics that have uh, happened before like plague cholera flu and sars cov and mers uh, cov that happened some time back and these have happened because mostly because of the zoonotic transfer of the uh, pathogen what i mean by zoonotic transfer is for example in covid 19 the idea is probably it has spread from the bats the bats are the host of the uh, of the sars cov viruses and because and it has transferred from it has come to humanity from the bats so similarly because people uh, were coming in close contact with animals to either breeding them or hunting or globe or trade uh, or trading animal uh, skin or animal products and or petting them basically so then uh, all these reasons might have brought uh, humans in con- contact with animals and that's how the uh, pathogens might have transferred from uh, animals to humans so that's how pandemics have always come into picture and like i will combine this question with the future of covid so i'll just um, uh, go through what uh, just blue when evolutionary biologists had uh Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle Washington said in this respect to answer what is the future of covid and how pandemics have evolved or how they're expected to evolve 
So he predicts that a SARS-CoV-2 virus will not be eradicated and will remain in the population as other common cold viruses do. So now the question is, does the virus evolve or is it the humans develop immunity against the virus and they are also being vaccinated? Uh, so vaccine has also provided them with advantages. So to, to test that out, Bloom basically got hold of uh, decades-old blood samples from people who were exposed to 229E, another SARS-CoV uh, variant, uh, which came into existence, I think, back in 1980. So what he did is he took antibodies and he took the blood samples and then he took and tested whether antibodies were protect, providing them um, whether uh, the antibodies that are developed from these blood samples can provide protection to the uh, infections that have happened later on. So the results were striking. The blood samples from the 1980s contained high levels of infection blocking antibodies against the 1984 version, but they had much less capacity to neutralize the 1990 version of the virus. So these means, and they were even uh, lesser effective against the 2000. So the, this means basically the virus is accumulating mutations, and that's why the uh, antibodies are also fading, and they are not uh, able to uh, neutralize the uh, vaccine. I'm sorry, neutralize the variants that are coming up later on. So basically, the viruses evolve, and so he feels that this is going to be the future of COVID as well, and this has happened to other pandemics also to the other common cold viruses. So they evolve, they evolve to an extent that they, um, they remain within the humanity, they become endemic, and people just know how to live with them. One more thing to this is, like viruses, in order to, uh, in order to uh, spread, they need hosts. They cannot kill hosts to survive. So then the best strategy for viruses to survive would be to you know, like be more trans, be more infected, but not kill their host. So ultimately, it might happen that they accumulate uh, mutations. They accumulate so many mutations that they are just with the people. They are just endemic with the people, and they behave as uh, common cold viruses. And so nowadays, scientists are actually uh, collecting uh, samples and trying to uh, sequence them to know what more variants are coming up, and they are trying to predict what will happen to COVID in future. Okay, miss. And our last question to you, could you give your views on the measures that one should take on contracting COVID? So this is something that we have been hearing from a long time since, uh, since COVID-19 started, and we have all uh, listened to the ringtone, I mean, the caller tunes for a very long time. So I would just repeat the set. So because the entry point for these viruses is like um, your nose, mouth, and sometimes they can gain entry through eyes as well. So the best way would be to, to protect yourself would be to wear a mask. Any mask would be effective, but N95 masks are just beautiful um, against, um, they provide the best protection against viruses because it's like it's providing a 95% protection. So now you, you wouldn't really allow anything to enter. Uh, and so, and just not wear, I mean, just wearing our mask is not enough. You have to wear it properly such that it fits your nose and mouth properly. It doesn't have any space left open for the unfiltered air to pass. So you are not inhaling the unfiltered air and you are not exhaling any unfiltered air. So uh, I would, I mean, I would just echo what other experts have already said that wear masks 
and uh, wash your hands with soap because that kills the viruses and then or sterilize your hands using or just sorry uh, sanitize your hands using uh, 70% alcohol uh, ethanol so that would be best to provide you protection but i would say uh, if you are wearing mask and especially n95 they provide the best protection and uh, i'm saying this from a very personal experience as well because i had covid in this i had covid in january and i had a friend my roommate basically who was taking care of me in the covid time and she was wearing uh, n95 mask all the time and i was so worried about her that she would also catch the disease but to my surprise she did not she did not have any symptoms and that was amazing they stayed with me all throughout all throughout helped me so much in recovering from covid but it was just amazing it was all because of the n95 mask and proper measures that were taken so take care of the covid patients but take care of yourself first by wearing n95 mask and and following all the other protocols that are already mentioned by the experts before Thank you so much for your time today, Ms. Bhattacharji, and for enlightening us with your knowledge on the COVID vaccine. And with that, we have reached the end of today's podcast. We would like to thank everyone who is a part of making this podcast possible. We would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode. The pandemic is not over yet, so please continue to follow the protocols and take good care of yourselves. We were your hosts, Sean and Shreya, and this was episode five of BIS on Radio. We hope to see you soon on the next episode.